Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter. Cardinal fans like myself, very frustrated today. I mean, especially frustrated. There's this great photo of of a guy in the stands yesterday holding his head in his hands i don't know if you've seen that i'm going to post it on this uh on when i post this article it kind of emblemizes uh what so many of us feel at this point because it's just a broken record total total redundancy and it it speaks to how either unwilling the cardinals are in making changes or um, just how um, Jason Lockenforos said that quoted a, 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 a GM, um, an anonymous GM, who said the Cardinals are ag- arrogant. They just think they can do what they do and get away with it. And the league has certainly caught on to what they do because it comes as no surprise. And I just think of the Los Angeles Rams right now watching the Seahawks tape and laughing out loud at you know the same things that they've exploited repeatedly over the years are still wide open or still issues um like you know defensively you can play the cardinals uh, up in the box the way Pete carroll has done repeatedly um since the first time he really adjusted to defending kyler um, and Kyler plays right into it, uh, and Cliff um, condones this, or I don't even know how, what the relationship is now. But, um, you know, yesterday they scored. Every pass was like five yards, um, and, and it's great that they scored. Don't get me wrong. First time all year we scored, you know, the Cardinals score a first, first quarter touchdown, and um, – you know, you're thinking, oh, boy, good. Finally, we came out sharp. Um, we're hitting the underneath stuff and getting uh, run after catches and stuff. And then, you know, Hopkins with the nice touchdown. Um, you know, but everything's thrown under the sticks, under the sticks, under the sticks, under the sticks ad nauseum. I mean, at one point, Kyler was 10 for 10, but for 66 yards, uh, 6.6 yards uh, per catch. Um, which isn't terrible, but, you know, it's also shows that – and Hopkins had 22 of those on his touchdown catch. So the rest of it was nine catches and, you know, 40-something yards. Um, you know, you like the accuracy, so, but those are simple, simple passes that any quarterback can throw. Um, and it's just kind of a colossal waste of, of a great arm and a great talent to be still just dinking and dunking and um you know on the second drive the snap over kyler's head which should have been avoided anyway because kyler should have been over center and taking a direct snap on a third and inches third and short but everything seems you know this cardinal offense now is seems geared to gaining two yards on first down with a perfunctory run or bubble screen which by the way did you see the Seahawks attacking those double screen those bubble screens uh, they knew they were coming and they were ready teams are ready to defend those 
Um, and it's amazing to me that with some speed on the field that the Cardinals have in, in uh, Rondale Moore, and Robbie Anderson, and, and Dorch with his quickness, and, and D-Hop with his just all-out all, all out great ability, that they're just resorting to this these, you know, perfunctory plays that at most are going to get you three or four yards. And it just seems like second down is to set up a third down and short. So you're not throwing past the sticks then either. You're just throwing little hooks or outs or, you know, um, or digs. Not too many digs. You know, don't, don't throw over the middle too often. But, oh, my goodness, it's just a monotony of the same old, same old. And, of course, the snap with uh, Billy Price went over Kyler's head. This is not unusual. Every center who's played has done that. Rodney Hudson did it. You know, Max Garcia did it. Um, Sean Harlow did it. And now Billy Price did it. I mean, one of his, his first snap of the game was high, too, and Kyler made a nice play on it. But it just makes you wonder. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins says, you know, we're practicing, you know, all week well. We don't know why it's not happening in the game. Um, well, something's, you know, something's going on in the game where, you know, uh, there's just this pre-snap kind of havoc um, where guys are jumping off sides all the time at home. I mean, it's just, just getting the playoff is I've never seen a pro team have this much difficult difficulty getting a simple snap off um, on time and on schedule. And they're tipping it off to, and there's staggered counts going to jump people off sides. And it's just, it's just agita. I mean, uh, I'm sitting there cringing. I like the guy with his head and his, his face in his hands. It's just so hard to watch. It's just a colossal um, ineptitude that's happening week after week. Now, this suddenly, you know, Cliff's been talking like this has just been happening recently. Um, no, go back to last year and the slide, you know, the, the, the second half of the season meltdown. It was very much like that. The same, same thing. It's been happening for quite some time. And, you know, I mean, the Cardinals, I mean, with Kyler Murray, he's now, of his last nine home games, one and eight. And the five, five, actually six of those games, the Cardinals were, were favored going into the game. I mean, but it's the same old pattern that keeps going. And if you even look further back to last year, the home games, Kyler struggled in those too. The Texans game, he wasn't sharp. The 49ers game, he really wasn't sharp. He, sharp. he got it together in the fourth quarter with a good touchdown to Hopkins that sold the, the you know, sealed the deal. And of course, it was uh, Isaiah Simmons and Tanner Vallejo who saved the day on on uh, Trey Lance's attempted touchdown run, if you recall. And that that game was a white knuckling, white knuckler and a nail biter. This has been going back quite some time, and. It's just there's very little flow and momentum. I mean, just when you're you're getting momentum, I mean, Kyler's having real difficulty mentally stacking plays. I don't know if you notice this, but when he scrambles and runs, the next play he just wants to dink it 
like that. He had a nice scramble and run, and the next play he throws that minus four yard bubble screen to Robbie Anderson. And you know, you're just saying, why in that situation? We're attacking, we're threatening them, you know, um, and trying a couple of big plays, and you do that, it just mind boggles you and uh and frustrates you even more. And you're starting off some of these first downs in like, you know, negative yardage. Um you know, so, you know, Kyler Murray completed 25 passes yesterday for a mere 175, a 5.0 average. I mean, that's just, you know, the percentage de- is decent, but, I mean, it just goes to show this is, I mean, calling it crawl ball. It's more crawl ball, you know, than anything else. And, you know, he ran the ball well when he had his chances, 7.5 eight carries for 60 yards. But then, you know, this is like the epitome of Kyler's, you know, um, stubbornness is he keeps holding the ball like a loaf of bread. This time made even worse by wearing a sleeve on his right arm, which ball was slippery on, slippery on. I mean, the Seahawks know this and it was like deja vu all over again. Same part of the field, too, threatening into the getting into the red zone, and ba boom, there goes the fumble, there goes the drive, it's over. And instead of being tied or ahead at halftime, which by the way, then the stat came in that Cliff Kingsbury is six, 26 and one when behind at halftime. Oy, oy, oy. Now we're playing, you know, Sean McVeigh next week, who's got, you know, the Cardinals. They, no one knows the Cardinals' weaknesses better than he does. I mean, you know, you turn it over the defensive end. I've been saying f- for years now and more and more every week, no contain, no chance. It's just no chance. And, you know, the, the losing contain against the Seahawks repeatedly in both games costs them dearly in both of these contests. Um, same thing last year in week 18 when Russell came in with nothing to – they were out of the playoffs. They pasted the Cardinals with the NFC West Championship on the line. That's three losses for Kyler in, in his last – what is it now? Ten games to the Seahawks, all three. And the Seahawks scoring, you know, in the 30s, you know, putting up big numbers. With Geno Smith. And, you know, look at Geno Smith. He makes the terrible turnover. Great play by Zayvon Collins. Love how he p- played that off the edge. Love how Simmons played off the edge. Those guys were balling. Loved how Buda came flying o- around making plays um, and tackles. But, you know, I mean, what did Geno do? He regrouped. And every- it seems like every time this year the-, the Cardinals defense or the offense gets the lead, it's like short-lived. The next drive is a guaranteed touchdown. Why is that? I mean, and there was two huge plays on on keeping that drive alive, and both came to lock it. Um, again, like it was third and 12, and Vance goes into that soft zone. Why? Why? Why do you keep doing that? I mean, and... You know, Isaiah Simmons is standing right there, but he got sort of, you know, in no man's land because they they were throwing a wheel route up the sideline or 
running back was coming out. So he got stuck in no man's land. And Tyler Lockett is wide open for an easy pitch and catch and conversion. And they, you know, they hit him on the, you know, um, and then they hit him and too high and got the penalty, which, you know, then added tacked 15 yards onto it. So a mistake made there as well. And I've been saying for three years now, who are we going to have? We got to have a plan for Tyler Lockett. He has dominated us for the last three, four years, dominated in key situations. And the point is, you know, that's why you hear me every year and people say, oh, you don't draft a slot corner in the first round. Well, what are we going to do? Just keep watching this? I mean, I was, I was, you know, campaigning for Trent McDuffie. I was campaigning for um, Love the Kid from Auburn, McCreary, Roger McCreary. We need a, a guy who's going to cover Lockett. And we're not doing it. We don't have a guy. Our, you know, and, or Vance doesn't put a guy on him. And here's the thing on the touchdown that, that uh, bothered me. Was, A, why is Buda Baker assigned to him? He's not, you know, Buda's not suited to, to cover Tyler Lockett. Um, and B is, why is he playing behind him? I mean, you know, in both cases, Geno Smith got a clear, direct path, passing lane to Tyler Lockett. You got to play underneath him with a with a guy his size, and you got to have it be it threaten the passing lane. You, you know, you've got to have leverage too. You you got to work leverage on on Lockett. I mean, those are two easy plays. Now Lockett did push off, and we didn't get the, the get the call. It was bang bang, and you know, but when you're playing behind, you never you don't want to play behind in the end zone anyway. You have to climb over the back to make the play, and it's it's either a pi or a touchdown. And it's just mind-boggling. And then you know, I mean, the Cardinals finally come down and and uh, you know get this get the second touchdown of the game late. You know, it took the whole game to get an, another touchdown and get the touchdown to Ertz, which was a really good. Of course, they had an earlier touchdown to Hopkins that was negated with Anderson. Anderson's head is somewhere in the clouds. I don't even know what's going on with him. Um, had that big drop, but then Kyler got the got the run in, except he fumbled back at the end of the of the first half. So now it's end of the sec near end of the second half, and Robinson and Anderson jumps off sides, um, which we had a you know a back shoulder throw to Hopkins for for a touchdown called back. That was frustrating. There were times in the game where you just totally ignored Hopkins. Don't understand that. They weren't running Hopkins in motion like they were when they beat the New Orleans Saints. Why isn't that happening anymore? I mean, they fed right into the Seahawks' hands by by not running him in motion and get, giving them fits. Um, you know, that would have created some problems for Tariq Woolen, who's playing really well, but, but he was playing cushion on on Hopkins, they could have really exploited that much more than they did. Um, but you know, I mean, you you need to have uh, at that point a defense that's going to really clamp down. And I mean, first play is a bootleg play. 
which I'm sure the Rams are looking at and licking their chops because it works every time against the Cardinals, you know, when the, when the Seahawks get the ball back. And it's 51 yards to Noah Fant. I mean, Noah Fant, five catches for 96 yards. That I mean, one play specifically, I will also say, I was watching it on um, on the Red Zone channel, and the whole because it was a it was a bootleg play. He only threw it like seven yards down the field, and yeah. I'm watching it. I'm like, now they're going to tackle him. Now they're going to tackle him. Now they're going to tackle him. Right. There's just no cardinal anywhere. I couldn't believe how no. open he got in space because every time I kept thinking there was going to be a defender right there because there's always a defender there on those bootleg plays. <laughs> well, the Cardinals. You know, they give up contain at will. I mean, it's just – I cannot believe I'm watching an NFL off, NFL defense that is just so willing to give up contain. Cliff said after the game, well, they were selling out to stop the run. What does that tell you about, you know, their run defense? you got to sell out and risk a 51-yard compl- easy completion on a bootleg. Or a run. I mean, Gino could have run it himself. I mean, he turned the corner. There was no one there. There was no one to threaten him. There was no edge. I mean, no contain. Nothing. Guys are just biting down inside. I know it's a task to, to, uh, to, you know, tackle this kid Walker, who had 109 yards on 26 carries to tack on to what he did against the Cardinals the first you know, he's had over 200 yards in two games on the ground against the Cardinals. But the timing of that, I mean, with a chance to get, you know, within they're within a field goal at that point, 24-21, it's just, you know, this is where your discipline as a defense has to come in. And, you know, I stress this all week in, the, on the, um, in Revenge of the Birds on my articles. I had an article called More of This, Cardinals, which were talking about Isaiah Simmons playing on the edge and what he can do. And they did did um, get some good good play off from him off the edge and plays that they didn't break contain on. But they're playing, um, you know, Isaiah all over the map, which, you know, isn't bad necessarily. But, you know, if you, your other guys who play the edge – I mean, look at how well Connor, I mean, um, Zayvon Collins played the edge when he was over there and got the interception. I mean, athletically, there are two guys on the edge, you, you know, who should be able to handle contain. But then what do you have, you know, um, inside? I mean, Tanner Vallejo is a pretty good tackler. He's, he's a bit of a liability in coverage. But against running plays, he's, pre- he's pretty good. And he's good in short yardage and the goal line. Uh, ben Neiman is, you know, I think playing really hard. He's just not very instinctive versus the run. He had four tackles yesterday. Vallejo had five. Um, you'd like to see this Camus, um, Grugier Hill. Maybe he's the answer. You can put him in there next to uh, Vallejo or a combination of Vallejo, you know, split time between Vallejo and Neiman. Um because uh, that kid could really help out. You know, and then you could use Isaiah and Zavin on the edges more. Um, or I kind of liked, you know, I kind of like what uh, 
what um, my J Sanders was doing, um, looking like on the end edge. He's pretty athletic. He should be able to handle it. another guy. I really like on the edge a lot is um, it's our um, it's Jesse Lakita. He's a disruptor and he's he's a baller. I mean, they got to figure something out. I mean, ideally, we don't want. We'd rather have Collins inside. We'd like to be able to move um, Isaiah around. I mean, at this point now, you've got to assign Isaiah to tight ends or someone. Bring, um, you know, uh, Jalen Thompson down in the box and keep him on tight tight ends all day against the uh, Rams. Or they're going to keep doing what they – I mean, both their tight ends had field days against us last time. Of course, uh, they lost contain immediately on Cooper Cup, who scored on an easy jet sweep, where he wasn't even touched. I mean, they got to—they've got to really figure this out in terms of who can play on that edge and and defend it. Um, you know, and the the Rams don't have as prolific a running attack as the Seahawks, but they're still good. Still got to defend their patented off tackle play, and now they have Cam Akers back, who's been hurting the Cardinals every time he steps on the field. So we've got to f- factor into that. But, you know, the, the problem for the Cardinals, too, is that um, as good as Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson are at, at um, storming the alleys and making tackles, they really need to improve um, in coverage. I mean, uh they're they're both getting beat, um, and they've got to really you know ratchet down that down. I mean, they have the ability to 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 do that. I don't like Buddha as a matchup on on uh, Tyler Lockett. That that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. He need, needs someone, um, I mean, someone more of a, a slot corner type um, who can play underneath him. Um, and maybe Buddha could have done that underneath him. I don't know, but it, that hasn't been his game to date. Um, so, yeah, it's so, so so frustrating. And special teams was just awful. I mean, look at the field position, the penalties. Um, you know, it's all three phases. They're just glaring weaknesses going on. And, um it's, it's just very, very frustrating to watch. It does not instill confidence. And, um, you know, we've got major questions moving forward. I mean, I was asked on Twitter yesterday. I mean, I here's how I summarized it was that, you know, I mean, I writing this, it's redundant. Um, you know, I wrote in the NFL – Cardinals now four and eleven in the last fifteen games, which, by the way, I mean we're one of the worst teams in NFL now. Think of what a rapid descent it was from this time last year, just a little bit earlier than this time last year, from first to almost worst. Worst. I mean, with the Lions winning yesterday, I mean now we're one game behind the worst record, or what are the maybe the Texans have one win or something? So. But uh, it's unbelievable with the talent on this team that we're even thinking of that and that they've lost eight of the last nine at home. Um, 
and part of it is, you know, I mean, the other fans are going crazy. I mean, the Seahawks fans had a feast yesterday. Um, but what I wrote was the Cardinals are now the easiest, most predictable to prepare for. The quarterback won't move the pocket and rarely throws beyond 10 yards with every snap and adventure. The defense never contains or covers tight ends and plays soft zones on third and long. And special teams nets poor field position. That's how I summed it up. I mean, it's I'm saying that virtually every week. And um, I just got to keep saying it until, you know, as they say in 12 Angry Men, men let's string it up the flagpole and see who salutes it. I mean, um, you know, someone's got to pay attention eventually, right? You would hope. But after nine weeks, there's just no... I mean, if we go back to the beginning of Cliff's first year, I mean, this is even in some cases worse than what it was his first year, or certainly on a par. I mean, there's that's the thing. I mean, it's like totally been totally recycled back to the very beginning. Back in the first year, we never covered tight ends. We never contained. Our coverage was soft. You know, it's better now because Byron Murphy's playing well on the top receivers. Um, still really upset that he's he's not on, you know, in the red zone. He's not on um, DK Metcalf. On that same TD pass they've been throwing for weeks now. I mean, if you study tape, that's their TD pass to Metcalf, and they've been completing it. I mean, you know, so why isn't Murphy on him in that situation? You had Jalen Thompson there, who got turned around and never saw the football, and just so easy. I mean, you know, again, if we have going to play matchups, are you putting Jalen Thompson? Seriously, on DK Metcalf? Is that what you're doing? I mean, this is the thing with Vance Joseph. I mean, this decision-making. And this is what I'm going to boil this down to. The decision-making on schematically and in personnel by the defensive coaches is hampering this football team. you got athletes there, and, and, you know, at times they're doing really good things. Don't get me wrong. This isn't totally one-sided. I mean, they're, they're converging hard on the ball. They did yesterday, tried to gang tackle Walker, which they had to do and for most of the game until at the end of the game where the Cardinal, every team knows you can run it down the Cardinals' throats in a last drive to seal the game. That's no mystery to anybody. I just asked the Rams who do it every time, uh, with Cam Akers in particular. Um, you know, I mean, so – the decision making there is is off. I mean, there's there's not a not a strong enough um, coherence and understanding and discipline to like put guys. You know, guys are often. You know, you say put your players in the best positions to succeed, and we're not seeing that consistently. And Cardinals are getting burned because of it. And the discipline isn't there. So it's not being taught. I mean, the discipline to contain, the discipline to have your, you know, to see the ball and come up and make plays consistently for cornerbacks or make plays on the balls. Too, you know, too bad Murphy, you know, um, missed out on that interception and then the tip one that Vallejo almost had 
you know, those were huge opportunities they they could have come away with. Um, and the alertness there, that can get better. But the more and more you put them on the right guys, the better. And so, <clears throat> you know, and then on the other side of the ball, the decision-making is really poor. And I know everyone, you know, I'm still hearing, well, Kyler played pretty well. If that's Kyler playing pretty well, we're in deep, deep doo-doo. I mean, the decision-making from Kyler is not, first of all, pre-snap and getting the team organized is a is a wreck right now. I mean, it can't be worse. So all the stuff that goes into that, the decision-making that goes into that, the plays were coming in faster yesterday. I noticed that. I hope you noticed that. <clears throat> they were muddling up more than usual than they did the last game. So pre-snap was still, you know, created all kinds of havoc. And you can't have that. you got to, you know, I mean, and then the decision-making to just com- continually check down and throw for three yards. I mean, you know, what is up with that? I mean, well, I've got problem. a stat for you here about uh, Kyler's statistics. You asked about it earlier in the show. I wanted to follow up on that now that we've come back around. Uh, Kyler Murray finished with 25 completions, uh, 175 yards, is an exact average of 7.0 yards per pass attempt on the game. Like you said, he, he finished with a, a pretty good QBR and a pretty solid passer rating. But of the 26 quarterbacks that played this week, Two of them had a fewer yards per completion than Kyler Murray. Do you think you can guess which two had fewer yards per completion? Oh, geez. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna exclude PJ Walker from this because he technically didn't have enough passes to qualify on this list. Okay. But, um, the other two are Sam Ellinger. Yep. Of of the Colts, Colts. and. Mac Jones of the Patriots. Fun fact, those two teams played each other over the weekend. Yeah, uh, that was Mac not... Jones and Sam Ellinger had right. the only quarterbacks with fewer yards per completion. Well, there you go. And I mean, so, I mean, have people lowered the bar so low for Kyler that this is acceptable? I mean, I just don't get that. I mean, you're clamoring to pay him as, you know, they got the second richest contract in the history of the NFL. At what point do you hold them to that kind of standard? And then the constant excuse of the offensive line, the offensive line. He had many, many plays there where he had time. Many plays. You know, you got to take advantage of those plays. I mean, the Cardinals put as much pressure on Geno. I mean, the Cardinals were pressuring him. But he stood in there and took advantage of the plays when he, when he had them. I mean, and Kyler just gets agita. And he just dumps the ball down. And, you know, I mean, it's playing again into a, like, 10 to 15-yard rectangle. That's so easy to defend. I mean, you know, and they're they're all loading up and just, you know, letting letting it – Kyler throw the two-yard pass and then put in a licking on the receiver before he can get moving. I mean, because they're right in position to do it. But the decision-making, I mean, decision-making not tuck the ball in when you're running. The decision-making to, you know, um, they ran to not move the pocket. They ran one bootleg. It was wide open. 
And then it was misthrown by Kyler behind. It was nearly intercepted. Well, could have been intercepted. It was called back. Fortunately, the Cardinals had a – the Seahawks committed a penalty on that play. But that was poorly thrown on the run. And you can get better options than that coming off bootlegs. And Kyler had it easy if he wanted to tuck it in and run it. I mean, it's just – not taking any shots in the end zone again. I mean, the both touchdowns were – you know, dinks below it got racks run after catches in the one to Hopkins and then the one to Ertz. I mean, you're not throwing into the end zone. Did Geno Smith throw in the end zone? Yeah. The only time I can remember the Cardinals throwing the end zone was that Hopkins pass that was negated by the, um, and that was late in the fourth quarter. I mean, I mean, you can't score by just constantly dinking and dunking, not in the NFL. You got to throw downfield. You know why they're not drawing up plays for these speed guys and trying to attack the end zone? They're not even tacking the ten-yard sticks. I mean, let alone the end zone. I mean, this all speaks to decision making from the team's quarterback. And people will say, "No, these are Cliff's plays." No, no, they're not. Well, Cliff's plays. I mean, Kurt Warner showed us after the New Orleans games, these route combinations and the number one, number two, number three options that you go through, the progressions, they're all there. You know, the question is, which one do you take for the quarterback? You know, which which one are you going to take advantage of? And if it's just constantly the shortest paths imaginable, that's poor decision-making because other guys are open. You know, um, and unfortunately, when Kyler finally did pass downfield, no one's used to it. And Robinson dropped that. I mean, Anderson dropped that pass, which I couldn't believe. But at that point, I mean, it's the first time they've really passed to him open in three games. I'm not making excuses for him. He should have caught the ball by far. And, you know, but he's let's just face it. I mean. There's not a lot of those kind of passes in this offense. And something's got to change there because this is just crawl ball. It's all it is. And by now, it's just everybody knows it's coming. You know, think of what it's going to be like this week now without Will Hernandez, it looks like. Unbelievable. So now we're out Hudson, who Kyler said last week, He's, you know, just worried about his his health, Hudson's health, and and then he said mental. I don't know what that means. I mean, and then of course Pew's out for the year, and then, um, you know, Cody Ford. Oh my goodness, Cody Ford. Um, come on, Cody. I mean, did you see the play? It was a design run play where Cody's pulls right. I mean, he looked like Rolo the Dancing Bear and never touched anyone and got in Kyler's way. Kyler got knocked off balance, hitting ram, ramming right into his butt. And then on a on a you know couple plays later, Kyler's trying to maneuver the pocket and escape the pocket, and somehow Cody Brown's running into Kyler. I think he was doubling back to try to help on a block or something, but 
that's out of sync. And, and Cody Brown's not getting off the ball. Co Cody Brown should be much better than that. Um, and he's got to play better than that. I mean, you got Aaron Donald next week. I mean, of course, Billy Price had his issues with the snaps. I mean, oh my goodness. Um, you know, uh, and that's, you know, the Cardinals technically aren't out. I mean, they're what two games out of potential wild card or three games with the rest of the games to go. I mean, you don't want to quit on a season, but you also want to show that you're learning from your mistakes and the Cardinals clearly are not showing that. I mean, this is showing up week after week. I mean, Cliff said an interesting thing in his press conference was for the first time, he said, I've never experienced a team having these kind of issues for this long in my career. And he is absolutely correct on that. And I'll tell you this, <laughs> I know Kyler lovers won't want to hear this and you know, I hate having to say it, but, and, and it strikes me as going to be, and this would be one of your worst nightmares for you. I know um, if it were to come true, but, but I, willing to bet you that if he played Colt instead, the snap issues wouldn't be a problem. The The flow of the offense would be better. The decision-making would be better at this point. I mean, Kyler is a mess mentally. He is a mess. Um, he's not going to get it done like this. And I don't know what's going in with that, but it's, it's, it's just – one poor decision after the next for um, for Kyler, or not enough good decision making for quite some time. From about this point last year to now, it's been a whole year. I mean, the whole you know down the stretch play was a whole lot of poor decision making. The off season was egregious poor decision making at the expense of not only his own reputation but of the team's. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute because, you know, I mean, if there are going to be changes, um, you know, we, who's going to sign up for this? I mean, and certainly Kyler Murray could be a calling card for an offensive coach who sees his talent as we do. We all see the talent, but it's unfulfilled talent if he can't lead the team and make good decisions and attack downfield with some vigor and determination and tenacity um, and move that pocket around seeing as you got the, you know, that's the best way to threaten a defense if you're Kyler Murray and he's not doing it. Um, you know, they got to do that more, obviously. I mean, next week they better do it or Aaron Donald's going to have another five sack game or whatever. They better have a plan for Aaron Donald and those other guys up front. But, um, but if if Colt McCoy were in there, and I'm not going to say that you know he's an, be an instant cure, but all the way around, because then you don't get Kyler's mobility, you don't get his you know uh, his scrambling ability, you don't get all the you know the great stuff that you can that are built in with Kyler. But you could get steady and calm and good decision-making, and flow. I mean, if offense doesn't flow, it's not going to be good. And this offense isn't flowing. It's dink, 
dunk, dink, dunk, third down, oop, incomplete, punt. Um, and, you know, playing everything in front of the sticks, um, it's just not smart decision-making, and something's got to change eventually. The question I have is, I mean, everyone's clamoring for Cliff to be fired, and I think at this point, you know, if, if I were Cliff Kingsbury, you know, I'd want to – I'd want to play Colt to show everyone here's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do it with Kyler Murray. Cliff will never do that. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's not a confrontational guy. He's not going to bring that on. Um, he won't do that. Uh, you know, Cliff is on record as saying that, you know, the only quarterback I want to coach is Kyler Murray, only starting quarterback. So he's not going to change. Um, but neither is Kyler. So at this point, it's like the, you know, irresistible force versus the immovable object. I mean, you just, um, this is, you know. Uh, yeah, and then because the organization has committed to Kyler for at least the next three seasons, he's going to get a chance to work through it, and Cliff's going to be the person who doesn't get to continue. Yeah, Cliff's going to be the fall, fall guy. And, you know, I... I bet Cliff already has a plan B. Um, maybe going back to college, he might qualify for the Auburn job. Um, you know, someone's gonna gonna try to hook him up. Some some college that has better recruiting cycles um, and avenues and and um, you know traditions. One could imagine. His agent was working the phones at this time. Here over at Oklahoma, so right you now I'm sure that there's a for him, even if it's not the the best of the best jobs. Right, and I there's been a report I read somewhere, and I don't know where, but I'm just going to say it. Um, I'll try to follow up on whoever said it, but I I heard that Cliff is playing on um his contract is heavily incentivized. He's you know the the big money's in the incentives. Of course, that's not working out this year. So, uh, but I, I don't know if Cliff is one of the more compromised figures in the NFL and polarizing figures because there's still so many people who believe he didn't deserve the job. So they're happy to see him faltering. I mean, a lot of people were happy with that. Um, you know, we're hoping for that coming in. I mean, at the same time, he's not able to run his kind of offense here. And that's the great irony. I mean, he thought Kyler Murray would be the ultimate QB in his system and they're not on the same page. They don't, you know, Kyler's not creating the kind of flow that, you know, epitomizes a Cliff Kingsbury offense and a more tack down field mentality that, that accompanies uh, Cliff schemes. So, you know, there's some, there's just a gap, communication gap. I mean, Hopkins got, got on Kyler on the sidelines. And as you, as you can see, Kyler wants nothing of it. I mean, this is what worries me about, you know, I mean, we can change all the coaches, but at this point, we don't know. We know that Cliff's coaching's not getting through. At this point, it's pretty clear. And that's why if Cliff can't get through to Kyler, 
what's the point of him being head coach? Um, you know, I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, but then, you know, if you bring in a Sean Payton, is is uh, Kyler going to really listen to him and, you know, and do what Sean Payton says? I mean, we don't know. I mean, would Sean Payton be interested in coming to the Cardinals? The answer to that is probably no, because he's on record as saying, quote, unquote, I just read it again today, that there are certain teams he would rule out immediately because of their front offices and said that occasionally they can win, but they're not franchises that can sustain success. Well, I felt like, you know, you might as well, you know, that's a perfect way to describe the Cardinals is they can win, but they can't sustain success um, and hasn't, haven't been able to. I mean, some guys would come in and say, you know, well, I can be the difference maker and make that happen. But uh, at this point in Sean Payton's career, he wants something more um, to join a franchise that's more, you know, has a higher tradition of winning and sustaining success. Uh, I read somewhere today, too, while I was researching this, that he's really keen on the Chargers job, um, Kyle. Well, that that goes against front office stability. <laughs> that goes against the thing he just said. The Chargers I know. a stable front office. <laughs> I know, but it's Justin Herbert. He feels like he could build around Herbert big time. And, you know, so... And that's the case with Kyler. But I, anyone who's watching Kyler right now, I'd be nervous. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he had it threw a conniption on Cliff. He threw a conniption on Hopkins on the sideline yesterday. I mean, two guys that you know. I mean, players argue on the sideline. It's not a big deal. I think it's actually a good thing that people are trying to communicate. And Hopkins said, "I love a guy who's that passionate." And um, you know, I mean that. It's, I think, like I said, with the Cliff and Kyler thing, in a way, there was a good part to that. Better than moaning or not moping or not communicating. And, you know, let's play with some passion and let's, you know, really get after it. Um, so, you know, the, but I don't know. I mean, I, Lincoln Riley's not coming to Arizona. He's making way more than Cliff does. Maybe twice what Cliff does. And that's the irony with Cliff. He probably can get a higher paying gig at one of the colleges, like you know, an SEC school or a big, another Big Twelve, or um, you know, even a Pac Ten. You know, he he can get in there. That Pac Ten might be right up his alley. He said he kind of likes the NFL, so he doesn't have to recruit, but. Um, if he lands in the right program that has a recruiting, you know, aspect already in place, and it might work to his advantage. Uh, and I would, you know, I think that the Patriots would be very interested in Cliff. Um, you know, they got a, two guys who are Cliff kind of quarterbacks in Mac Jones and, and um, um, Bailey Zappi in particular. Boy, I think Cliff could do wonders with Zappi. Um, he, he's a rhythm and timing passer. Um, so is Mac Jones. I mean, they, they get the ball out before the breaks, stuff like that, which Kyler was starting to do two weeks ago um, when they were motioning Hopkins and 
Um, but why don't the Cardinals build off stuff like that? That's what's so frustrating. I mean, that works so well. And then last week we didn't see nearly as much motion from him um, where they were preferring him to, to keep him on one side. Um on the you know the Dantzler side, which I don't get, because uh, we've seen it firsthand. I mean, Diop can eat Pat P up. I mean, he did when uh, Pat P was in AZ. Um, I just don't get how they don't stack from game to game and carry momentums in. You know, gee, we found something that works, and then suddenly it's back to the same old, same old. So. I was asked um, by uh, Stu on um, Twitter. He was like, "Do you think, you know, um, do you think it's, you know, the right coach um, can turn things around in Arizona?" And my initial gut re- gut reaction um, is. You know, he said, do you think, quote, unquote, good coaching could quickly turn this team's play around? Because it has plenty of capable talent. I agree with that. There's plenty. I mean, look at the offensive weapons. I mean, they had Connor back yesterday. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you got really good weapons there. You're just dinking and dunking with them. You might as well just take any set of right receivers. They can do that. If you're not going to, you know, um, get creative with those. You know, mind-boggling. Um, and the only, the first thing that impulse came to my mind. So the way that I answered it was the only thing that can turn around this hapless organization is the hiring of a charismatic GM who can change the culture and natural national perception of card cardinal football. And I said I'll identify a wild card GM candidate whom I believe would crush it in Arizona on Red Rain, which I will do right now um i've got two guys in mind um here's a guy for you his name's john carr john carr was on the texans scouting staff and was director of college scouting his last two years at the texans he was on the staff when they drafted jj watt he was on the staff when they they drafted deandre hopkins He's now a um, director of college scouting for the Jets. He just had a couple of the greatest drafts I've ever seen. Um, He's a master drafter. um, And he's very fluent in the 3-4, which I think should be a – if we're ever going to turn a corner, we've got to get the 3-4 right. And right now, I mean, Vance's version of 3-4 is quirky. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a, a Mike linebacker use the way that he uses him. I've never seen 3-4 that just ignores um, contain or has cornerbacks taking contain, which is so difficult on them, puts enormous pressure on them. Um, and by the time a cornerback gets contained, if he's playing cushion, it's too late usually. So, But with that, I mean, we could tap into this Jets um, crew over there under you know Robert Salaz you know and you know if John Carr came in he could hire Mike LaFleur as head coach 
I mean, LaFleur is doing wonders with that Jets offense. Um, and he's really nifty with the running game and the running backs. I mean, Reese Hall was having a Reese Hall was having a uh, rookie of the year type season before he got hurt. And Michael Carter's doing really well. I mean, they I mean they knocked off the Bills yesterday. Um, LaFleur is a bright young coach. I mean, his brother is Matt. He comes from the Shanahan coaching tree. Um, or the you know, um that's also Shanahan McVeigh. Um, I would love that choice. I think uh, he could do wonders with Kyler. Then uh, they could bring in the quarterback guy, Taylor Embry, as the OC, you know, and have have him and LaFleur issue out, you know, combine on the play calling. And then uh, Marquan, Mar- Marquan Manuel, their defensive backs coach, was uh, the, the D.C. for Atlanta with Quinn was there for two years. Quinn was really high on him. I mean, I think that, you know, you know, since he's a position coach, he would be wonderful to bring in um, as DC. I mean, he's a defensive back by trade. I mean, he'd be great with Buddha and Jalen. Um, that's a combination there. That's very intriguing to me. There's also a assistant GM, Rex Hogan, who I like a lot. I'm not sure he's, I think John Carr has a little more charisma than Rex Hogan. Um, you know, and I think that maybe a little bit more, you know, boots on the ground and success. So I, uh, I kind of prefer John Carr there, but Rex Hogan's not a bad choice either. And the other guy is a total flyer in a way, but I mean, every day I look forward to, to watching this guy on NFL Live, RC Ryan Clark. Um, he's got. I mean, first of all, he is an out and out hoot. I mean, the analogies he makes on a daily basis just have the whole set cracking up. Um, and I think to get a GM with a personality and a, and a sense of humor would be awesome. I mean, he's a guy. He, players would flock to in my opinion he's very outspoken but i like his outspokenness because he you know he's decisive plus he's a great 34 guy played in that system in pittsburgh was an all all pro as a walk-on undrafted free agent um who really climbed the ranks and played at a very high level as a safety i think buddha and jalen would love Ryan Clark in the building and his energy and his, you know, edge. I mean, he, this is a guy who wants to win. I mean, you can tell you and the teams that he roots for, he wants to win. I mean, I thought three weeks ago, um, you know, I thought he took a huge risk on set when he charged into his Steelers. First of all, with the caveat that Mike Tomlin is his favorite coach which I liked hearing and then saying that the, he thought the players really rolled over versus, uh, you know, that weekly opponent and was, you know, kind of embarrassed the franchise. It took guts to say that, but that word must've gotten back to the Steelers because the next week they knocked off the bucks. If you recall, um, that message may have gotten through 
And um, it takes guts. I mean, it takes speaking up. It takes uh, – and Ryan Clark, I his analyses – I mean, I have a video. I'm going to do an article on him at some point just to plant the seed. But I don't even know if he's interested in GM. I think he would be. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, and he's such a wild card, I think, that, you know, it would probably take – you know, he'd probably take the Cardinals job, and particularly because of Buddha and Jalen and – and Kyler, um, you know, he's got clear thoughts about Kyler. He's he said them all along. I think he could really help um, turn Kyler around. Um, but uh, oh, um, personality-wise, I have a tape of him <laughs> talking about Eli Manning to a group of alphas, football alphas, like with Rex Ryan at the table and guys like that. And I mean, he in this segment and i'll show it to you sometime when i post the article um was talking about eli manning they were talking about should eli manning be in the hall of fame and ryan clark said well yes he's going to make the hall of fame because he has two super bowl rings but let me tell you about (laughs) eli manning and he proceeded in about you know three or four minutes telling that he's you know going on a rant that was just not only hysterical but also I mean, I had to agree with everything he said. Um, you know, I was close to the giant situation. I'll talk about that some other time. But, I mean, I knew when they were going to, you know, bench Eli Manning. Um, I knew about that in, in advance. And then who do they put in but Geno Smith? And it's Geno Smith who gave the game. You know, he wanted to dedicate the game ball a couple of weeks ago to uh, – to the Giants coaches who gave him one game chance because then the fans rebelled and wanted wanted uh, you know um, to fire. They the wanted coaches. Eli back, and then they fired. They literally the Ben week McAdoo after starting Geno fired yeah. Ben McAdoo as Correct. general manager. Correct. And uh, you know so, but I think with Clark and his Steeler connections, one thing I would guarantee is first of all he'd get the three thirty four prototypes right. I mean, we wouldn't run a quirky 34 like we're doing with Vance Joseph. I mean, contain would be an issue. Um, pesky man press coverage would be an issue. Or, you know, zones that work where, where you pick up man-to-man. Um, I think he could be influenced Brian Flores to, you know, be the head coach. Um, you know, Flores is with the Steelers and, um, you know, Flores, wow! I mean, and he's a thirty-four guy. I mean, uh, he's one of the bright minds in football. Um, I like Anthony Campeel as a DC. He's he's a he's a really fiery guy. I'm not sure what they would do at OC, and that would be a huge appointment. So I'm going to keep researching that, but. You know, that, those are just some names that come right to mind. I think Ryan Clark has so many NFL contacts. It would be interesting to see who he, you know, what kind of a staff he would recommend and put together. But it would be aggressive, I can tell you that. Um, uh, there would be a real aggressive approach and, you know, qualified candidates. Um, he wouldn't be looking into college coaches. Um He'd be looking into pros, pros, and um, so uh, yeah. Well, those are two main two names that come to mind right off the bat: the John Carr and Ryan Clark. 
Um, and, uh, you know, there are others that I'm kind of looking into as well. But really, if the problem is now is that it's just the national perception is bad. The PR, PR hits the Cardinals took all offseason. I mean, for ever since the end of last year, the, the, the failures down the stretch. I mean, every day, every game, I'm just saying to myself, and you probably are too, this is not good. This is not good. I mean, every day this offseason, something happened. This is not good. This is not good. And when you're stacking day after day of this is not good, this is not good, this is what you're seeing. This is the end result. This is what a team looks like when they can give a shit about OTAs, half of them, or some of them. I shouldn't say half. I mean, it's ironic, too. It's so coincidental that the guys who are at OTAs are having the better seasons. Like Zach Allen, you know, so, um, and Buda Baker, I mean, he was there. He said he owed it to the younger players. And at times that defense is, you know, they've kept the team in the game. Um, Although, you know, with better coaching, you know, and containing and not having to sell out to to defend a run because they're Mike linebackers standing in cement. if it's not Zayman Collins, you know, things like that it need to be. And then those soft zones on third and longs and how many times they convert. I mean, the Seahawks converted that pass to that same third and 12 pass to Tyler Lockett. Um, like they've done it several times. Anytime they see the Cardinals are in that zone, they go to Lockett right there. And it works every time. I mean, Pete Carroll must be pinching himself. I mean, the repetitiveness of what they can be able to do, knowing the Cardinals as well as they do. And that's the thing about OTAs, too. You know, OTAs are a chance to, to prep during the, during the offseason for your conference, um, your division opponents, and do game preps then. I mean, plant the seeds so that they're not foreign to you when you get to it in the season. You know, but uh, so, yeah, uh, it's just with Steve Kime, I mean, Kime has made some really good trades. His trades, as I would argue, sometimes are cover up for his drafting inabilities, like the Hudson trade after drafting four centers in five years. And now look at us. We had to bring in an outside guy and Billy Price. Um you know the and and other situations uh, that have Will Hernandez, Cody Ford. Those are situations you know, that kind of mask up misses on the offensive line. Yes, well, that's been a constant. And you know, Will Hernandez is was a huge upgrade and has been. That's a big loss. I don't know what the severity is. I heard it wasn't good, looking good, of whatever you know is going on. So. That's a huge loss right there. Um, maybe they get Max Garcia back this week. That could help. Although Lucita Smith, we'll see if he can hold up in there. That wouldn't be bad giving him the reps and building on him. Try to develop a draft pick. He's got a tall order against the you know the Rams interior um, with Aaron Donald and um, 
you know, and crew, uh, those guys can play, man, uh, up front, and they're going to have to do something about that. Um, and I think if Kyler doesn't agree to move the pocket in this game, he's, you know, never will. So, because um, it's going to be coming hard up the middle like it's it's done the last few games and has haunted Kyler ever since. So, um, we got to know in advance that something's got to happen creatively this week or they won't have a chance. I mean, the Rams must be licking their chops if, if there's ever a get-well game for them with as predictable as the Cardinals are. You know, nothing, they've never stopped the you know McVeigh's offense, no matter who was scored. I mean, Jared Goff owned owned the Cardinals um, completely, uh, even with you know with just adequate mobility. He was breaking contain on bootlegs left and right. John Walford also won a play-in game for the playoffs a couple of years ago. Oh, you so. had to bring that up. Oh my god, <laughs> that one that one wasn't that bad. Chris Strebler was playing quarterback for the Cardinals, but John Walford did also beat the beat the Cardinals to get into the playoff. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> I mean, well, I've got one more note if you'd like. Go ahead. You were asking earlier if they've been the worst team in the NFL over this uh, this eleven game stretch, or I'm sorry, the four and 11 stretch yes well uh, i've got the i've got the numbers for you here yep. going back to the last 15 games here are the the worst records in the nfl uh since uh i believe that would be december 7th of 2021 okay uh, you've got carolina panthers two and 13 detroit lions three and 12 uh then you've got the texans with the weird tie they're three I guess three eleven and one, right? Because of the tie, um, and then you have four and eleven Jacksonville Jaguars, four and eleven Denver Broncos, four and eleven Arizona Cardinals, five and ten Chicago Bears. That's where we are, gang. Thank you, Kyle, for for pulling out that nugget. Um, it's just it, like they say. In New York, it is what it is, and you know it's it's sad. I mean, it's not only sad; it's so frustrating. And you know, the cards have been Cardinals have been acting like everything's hunky dory and re-signing all these guys, and you know, to, to I think contracts that are exceed the the players' values, which always is a is a troubling um, reality. It's going to get you down the road. Um, and then now, you know, I mean, um, you got to figure out something out with Kyler. I mean, I didn't know uh, what that's going to look like. But, you know, I don't even know if Kyler cares that much about Cliff. I mean, he's probably fed up with him. I don't know how much loyalty, loyalty there is there. And I still not sure whether Kyler really wants to be in Arizona. I'm not sure that he he respects the organization enough and feels like there's enough hope for him. I mean, I I heard he wanted the Broncos pretty badly because of that defense. And, um, heard that from a couple people, actually. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, he, I think he was really hoping that Dallas would come calling, but um, yeah, I 
I don't know. It seems like we got a bunch of guys who had one foot in, one foot out. Kyler, Justin Pugh, um, Rodney Hudson. Um, you know, those are three that come right to mind. He won for different circumstances, not necessarily his fault, but DeAndre Hopkins just was technically out and then had right. to come back in because he was away for eight weeks. Right. And I'm glad you brought him up, Kyle, because this is a, a, a you know, this could be another scenario that blows up in the Cardinals' face. Because, first of all, word came in that teams were calling about Hopkins availability via trade at the trading deadline. Uh, we they got that when Peterson, you know, they turned down a first rounder for Peterson and and Nelson Aguilar, um, which still just one of the most colossal gaffes the Cardinals, you know, Steve Kime has ever made. Um, how he didn't do that deal with all of the red flags at that point and the trade requests before. Is just and then now after last week's game with Pat B going off on Steve Geim, unbelievable what karma is going on there. But now with Hopkins, um, you know, gang, we're this could get ugly pretty fast because uh, we, you know, I mean, if Hopkins gets restless and you know wants to waive his no trade clause. Um, and as for trade, you know, the guaranteed money is now up on, on Hopkins. So when he's scheduled to make, he's already collected 60 million or it's, you know, his 60 million is guaranteed on his contract. So that's in the money in the bank or money to be banked when it's allocated. Sometimes they do it in yearly segments, which I think they're doing with him. Um, and, you know, so next year he's playing for 19.5 million unguaranteed and the following year is 14.9 million unguaranteed. Um, now the wishful thinker in me would, would hope that, you know, like Hopkins would feel bad about missing six games this year and, you know, would realize that they're not going to cut, you know, him that basically he's going to collect 19.5 million next year. If he stays, would he give the Cardinals a mulligan you know, on that and wait a year to then try to re renew his contract? I mean, we had hope, but how much does Hopkins respect the Cardinals now and where they're going? How much faith does he have in Kyler? And I think that, you know, uh, from, some of the, you know, I've talked to a number of people that are, you know, who have sort of connections to the locker room. You know, the locker room's pretty divided on Kyler um, and has been for quite some time. And people will say, no, everyone speaks highly. Of well, of course they're going to. I mean, you know, they're not going to backstab their own quarterback. But it's easy to see why he's polarizing. He's polarized the fans. He's polarized people around the NFL. In fact, at this point now, he basically, um, a lot of the national pundits just have, feels like, you know, Stephen A. Smith and guys like that just feel like scorn for the guy. Um, that's how, that's how much of a PR hit he's taken in this. Um, 
and maybe some of that is, uh, you know, maybe you can argue he doesn't deserve all that. But a lot of this he brought on himself. When you put yourself out there like he did after that kind of performance against the Rams in particular, you're just, you know, leaving yourself wide open. That's why these decision-making scenarios with Kyler are a cause for concern. I mean, you know, the best thing that could have happened to the Cardinals last year after that, you know, they ended the way the season ended in that, you know, debacle in L.A. in the playoffs would have been to take that humility and turn it into hard work and unity and, you know, find the ways to We say, okay, we're going to learn from that and we're going to put all the hard in work in to get ourselves over that hump. Instead, you know, J.J. Watt reported the day after all the players left and got back to work. Some some players did with him. But after that, you know, it was a divided roster. Some guys showing up, some guys not. You call it volunteer, you know, OTAs. Um, it's volunteer stuff. But when some teams are doing it in unison, you know, and this was the first year where teams could really take advantage of it in a few years because of COVID, you know. Um, it's just too bad. I mean, we got a, you know, a, a divided scenario there that needs to be addressed. I mean, it's going to take somebody pretty um, dynamic. I mean, this is why Hopkins, in my opinion, called that. I mean, he's seen this and heard this. That's why he called the all you know players only meeting and asked Kyler to speak first. I mean, Hopkins is trying to get Kyler back in the good graces of his teammates who are, you know, kind of still kind of pissed off at some things that he's done. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't know how much that's working. I mean, with Hopkins, we're one and two. And he's trying real hard to do his part, and you got to give him respect for that. But, you know, I don't know how much this – this now disenfranchises him from the Cardinals. I mean, if he can't get through to Kyler and he can't turn him around, he's not going to want to be here. So, and yesterday he was routinely ignored after that incident. Um, you know, he only got two more targets and one was on that, uh, on that sideline discussion they had. One was on that callback touchdown. So, you know, Hopkins is saying the right things. You know, he likes Kyler's passion. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the season, what what's going to be his mo, and what's going to be his feelings? Something's going to give there because you know you know players and when their money's not guaranteed, it's a similar situation right back where we started, which seems to always seem to happen to the Cardinals. Is that now this is just where he was with the Texans? Um, not that he had any issues with his quarterback, but with the organization and wanted to be traded unless he was paid um, top dollar guaranteed. So, and this is probably in the works, uh, will be in the works if he doesn't give the Cardinals a, a reprieve because out of feeling bad about missing six games um, this season. So, uh, and of course, you know, he was out towards the end of last year too. So, but something's probably going to give there. And, um, 
yeah, there's a lot going to be uh, potential big decisions ahead. Um, you know, and and a lot of key figures involved here. So, you know, it's going to take something special. The last thing is, is that Michael Bidwell's house is up for sale. That's interesting. I mean, many of us have had the impulse to feel the sense that money's been tight for him recently. Um, you know, with the salary cap, I mean, the Cardinals was posted today of, are paying 21 more million for their offensive personnel than anyone in the NFL. I mean, anyone who continues to push the narrative that, that Michael Bidwell is cheap, isn't paying attention. I mean, he's making these contracts. He's trying to, trying to do his part. Um, but you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know the the whole drama with Kyler, and you know, and now the drama that went on with Peterson, the drama that went on with Chandler Jones, you know, all that is like nipping at at the Cardinals, uh, and it won't go away until you get someone in the GM position who can turn all this around, in my opinion, and and restore respect to the organization. There are good ways to do it. There have been great people in this organization. And this is what AJ, J.J. Watt embraced when he arrived. He immediately embraced the whole Pat Tillman culture. Um, and, you know, pauses daily by Pat's lock, old locker. He embraced that tradition. He went out amongst the fans and tried to, you know, bond with them. I mean, he did everything. He's done everything to try to bond with the community that you would want from a leader. And he didn't care that the Cardinals were a perennial loser up until he arrived. Um, he saw a team on the rise that he thought could could go places. And uh, imagine now he's kicking himself for, you know, maybe uh, I hate the thought of that because he is just uh, the epitome of a leader. And um, that th there ever was in the NFL. And, I mean, we've had Larry Fitzgerald. We can go right down the line. There have been some awesome players here in a great tradition. Just haven't won a Super Bowl and only gotten there once. And whoever we get in here has to be players and coaches who don't care about the past and believe in the present and future and what they can do to change things. And if we get players who just, you know, are negative on the Cardinals and want to be traded or don't want to be here, let them go. There are enough players like Buda Baker who wants to be a part of the solution rather than continue to be a part of the problem. And that's what it's going to take. And I think that a charismatic GM, um, a shrewd GM too, can draft and get the kind of guys that, um, he'd be confident would come in and be alpha players for you and not, you know, drama queens. Um, you know, look at the Jets now. Six and three? Who would have thunk it? Those guys all. Look at Sauce Gardner. Imagine when we get our version of Sauce Gardner. I mean, this kid's playing like a 10-year all-pro. I mean, and that's why I like this you know, the back coach, Marcon Manuel, 
Manuel, um, you know, who's doing a heck of a job with the, that secondary, and particularly with Sauce Gardner. I mean, they don't mess around. They play their rookies. That's the other thing we got to do is, you know, get to our young talent earlier and develop it. So, but with that, um, and I don't know what's going on with Michael Bidwell selling his home. Um, it's just a big mystery. And of course, you know, you got the Bidwell and Kime connection. I mean, is Bidwell finally going to be fed up enough to make the change that's needed? I mean, he's turned a blind eye to these national um, perceptions that are working against him. Maybe it's time to, you know, smell the coffee and look up and see what's going on. So I hope so, because, uh, you know, this this has been a rough go for a year now. Um, it's been a it's kind of a collective failure by the entire organization. And, you know, with a lot of good sprinkled in, I mean, you know, there are guys, I mean, J.J. Watts returned to the playoffs last year. It was one of the most Herculean things I've ever seen. And it's still sort of gone on, uh, under the radar. And then coming back this year from AFib, um, or, you know, um, oh, my God. I mean, who would ever question his dedication to this team, to this organization? It's just sad to me that other guys on the team don't get inspired so much to want to change things um, because right now they're stuck in a rut and uh, not enough, uh, you know, players are buying in. And um, like I said, a lot of players, one foot in, one foot out. Whenever you have that situation – it's uh, typically not going to result in winning football. So, especially with key guys, um, you know, the Hudson situation is really rough. I mean, we we had a good Rodney Hudson, the good version of him. Oh, my goodness, how different things would be. Unfortunately, we haven't had that. So, you know, um, but anyway, uh, thanks to all of you. Thanks to all my Twitter friends and frenemies <laughs> um you know we all have our points of view and um you know i i i like i like the fact that we can talk civilly um some of you don't and uh i wish you would um not trying to hate on anyone and um yeah you know, i have a lot of respect for cliff kingsbury by the way I think he's a much better offensive coach than this, but I just feel like his hands have been tied. And 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 I do think he's culpable because, you know, you got to untie him yourself or do something, you know. Um, and maybe we'll see something out of Cliff now that, the you know, clearly his back's against the wall, one would think. Although maybe he's had assurances from Bidwell that no matter what, he's staying on because he's extended. And that, how are we going to handle that emotionally if Kime and Kingsbury are still um, retained? What's going to go on with that? So that's an ongoing question. Thanks to Kyle Ledbetter, my right-hand man, for uh, all his contributions and his great work. And thanks to the Revenge of the Birds, my pals, um, and um, who we, we roll up our sleeves and get after it every day for you don't to you know read into our stuff. Uh, we get quality writing going on there, and 
and very quality uh, discussions in the comment sections, which uh, are fun to be a part of if that's something that, you, that interests you. So come and have a voice on our board. Um, so have a good week, and uh, let's prepare for the Rams in a different way this week. Try to get creative and see if uh, we can get this thing turned around um, in short order. Um, changes will have to be made in order to do that. So we'll see um, this time next week whether they those kind of changes have been made. All right, until then, uh, may the red rain shower down on you into the red, red sea. Red rain. <laughs>